Hello, hello, my let's keep it real people. Talk about keeping it real. Ah, my next guest is, was just breathtaking. During the entire interview, I was laughing and crying. My mouth was wide open with amazement of this woman's journey and her honesty and truth. So, so inspiring. I sit here in awe and feeling blessed that I can tell her story. We all have a story, right? We all have a journey, a life to inspire others. And when we share it with the purest sense of love, we heal ourselves, we heal others, we heal the world. Lisa and her book, To the Moon and Back, it, it, it was just incredible. That's all I have to say, incredible. The human spirit, the strength, the resilience, her twisted and amazing long journey to make sense of it all is a gift to all of you. I cannot wait for you to hear her story. Please share, like, rate, visit us on Patreon. We appreciate your support. I love you guys. And until next time. This is Let's Keep It Real with Sandy Joy Weston, your weekly dose of positivity with awesome stories and guests from all over the world. It's an opportunity to learn some great new things and expand your mind. We'll tackle topics from all areas of life, and as always with Sandy, the sky's the limit. All right, my let's keep it real people. I hope you have a cup of tea or coffee that you can grab and put your feet up and get ready for this awesome freaking interview. I am like chills all over my body with excitement, not only because I already spoke to Lisa, but I also read her book. Oh, oh my God. It's just incredible. And you know, I'm a book freak, but I'm telling you, this book rocked my world. It was just amazing. So I can't wait to speak to her and I can't wait for you to hear just a bit of her story. So let me tell you about Lisa Kung. Lisa is the award-winning author of To the Moon and Back, Ooh, A Childhood Under the Influence, as well as The Power of Thoughtful Leadership. Uh, <laughs> every time I read this, I just gasp. The best seats Lisa ever had at Madison Square Garden were at her mother's mass wedding, and the best cocaine she ever had was from her father's friend, the judge. Today, whoop, whoop, Lisa is a leadership consultant and executive coach, a keynote speaker who works with C-suite leaders in Fortune 50 organizations and not-for-profit organizations, helping them to become more thoughtful in their leadership and their lives. Lisa brings to her clients the tools, the mind shifts, and practices she's found, 
and created that have helped her heal and thrive, as well as the hope and forgiveness she's been blessed to let into her life. I'm already getting teared up, Lisa, so you better say something. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Sandy. Thank you for having me here. It's so weird to hear someone read my line. (laughs) Isn't it weird? You're like, wait a minute. I did all that? That's who I am. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. Anytime when people read a bio, you're like, oh, Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm pretty cool. (laughs) Well, Lisa, let's start off like I do with all my guests. If I was going to ask you one word to describe your past 30 days, good, bad, or ugly, what would that word be? Huh? Growth. Growth. All right. Am I supposed to pick good, bad, or ugly? I picked growth. (laughs) Meaning, so, so many people are like, I just wanted you to know, I fibbed on air. I really, it's been sucky. I go, no, 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 no. I want you to really be, tell us the truth of how you really felt about the past 30 days. So yours is growth. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more. Uh, there's an acronym, AFCO, another blank growth opportunity. So no, um, the past 30 days, well, new year, new changes in our country, both my kids who were home for the holidays went back to the Midwest. Um, oh. Yeah, I drove one back and then, and then flew back. Um, and yeah, just I, I am in a process, since we're talking about me in my life, of uncovering even more patterns in my brain and ways I was carved that I am unraveling and uh, undoing and going, really? People don't have to do that. <laughs> Other people too, and um, yeah, it's a, uh, it's hard. It's good, and my hand is on my heart almost all day long. Yeah, so that I hope that's enough. <laughs> I mean, working through, processing through some more things that I don't have to do and believe anymore. Isn't that great? I love that mm-hmm. you're saying that because so many people that I um, coach think well, why don't I know it already? I should have this done, you know? (laughs) I I go, well, when I get it done, I'll be dead and going to my next life because it's just a continual process. I I will tell you that I know that I will never get it done, but I will also tell you that decades ago, my second therapist, my first good therapist said to me, you can't know it until you know it when I said I should have known that already. And I I gotta tell you, I still feel like, yeah, but I should have, <laughs> right? So I hear you and I teach it and I try and remember that, but that is one of those things that's hard for me still to let down. It's like, yeah, but I really probably should have known this sooner. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't understand how you couldn't have known it. Yeah, so so funny you picked on that because that is one I'm still working on in this book. Well, my mentor and coach always says to me, if you say the word should anymore, forget yeah. should, 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 should. And I know don't should work- on yourself, yeah. Yeah, yeah and there's absolutely. workshops on that. But it, you know, it's still an ongoing process. All yeah. right, so let's just dive into this book. First of all, not only I feel like you've had maybe 50 lifetimes in one little journey here on the planet, but the book, it, I mean, I stop, uh, usually, you know, it's so compelling, you could just read, 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 but I have to actually stop and pause and then think about it and then move on because it's so incredible. I mean, there's so many little stories in every, like, I feel like, wait a minute, that happened? Wait, that, you know, like, there's like, every little paragraph has a note, you gotta be kidding me. I don't know if you feel that way, but holy moly. Well, well thank you. Um, compliments, thank you. I, I will, you know, the hard thing about it being 
one's own life or one's own experiences, you're like, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't seem normal to me. I mean, never thought it was normal, but whatever. You don't, you don't have a grasp. You don't have a grasp. But it's funny the way you express it because when my younger child finally began to know some of my story, and then he'd say something and he'd be like, and there's more? I'm like, yeah, there's more. And he'd be yeah, saying, yeah. like, I teach him something else and he'd be like, and there's more? And I'm like, yeah, there's more. So I do, as my brother said many years ago, you know, how I heal, the beginning of my healing is crawling into Al-Anon, a 12-step program. And when you stand in these, sit in these rooms you know, like with hundreds of people who have these incredible life stories and you tell your story and everybody's jaw drops, you go, oh, okay, so it's a little <laughs> different, huh? <laughs> so I'm coming to know that, but it, yeah, know, I, I don't. Yes, I still say to my tra- my my therapist, was it hard? She's like, yeah, it was hard. Was it trauma? Yeah, it was trauma, and that is that is true of all trauma survivors yeah. and thrivers. Yeah. There's this huge downplay of it in our brain. So it's a yeah, again, growth. Thank you. Long answer. I give long. No, answers. no, it's not a long answer at all. Let me tell you just a little thing because we're going to keep it on you. But I truly believe the right person, the messenger, the right book will come to you if your eyes are open, your heart's pure, and Although my story is so different of my childhood, it's very traumatic and I've blocked a lot of it out and still have not gone back to some places to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And so your book, I'm reading your book and I actually, it was triggering things in me. That's why I couldn't keep reading all the way through, but it also inspired me to go, all right, Weston, you're going to have to peel that on your back a little more, even though you think, okay, that's enough. That's enough. And guess what happened after I read this book, Lisa, I had a dream and one of the memories came to me that I had blocked, which reminded me, okay, they're going to come to you as you can handle them. And even now I'm going to, I have, I'm taking pauses because Mm -hmm. I go, wow, look what she's even done for me. Like I'm, going to not because I have to, but I want to go back and try to heal some of it or look at some of it or drive through my neighborhood. And it's the same thing. My husband and my son and daughter don't even know 80% of it because I don't know 80% of it, if that makes sense to you. It makes total sense. I mean, yes, I wrote a memoir, but the joke in my family is that I have no memories. And honestly, I, there's so much my brother will be like, remember the time someone called up our fire escape to break into the house and let us in? Like, I got nothing. Yeah, right? that's me. And that that's would be me. what you would think I would remember. But there's so many things I completely, and yes, there was trauma that I just completely blacked out, right? Or mm. whatever, pushed down. So yeah, but I, I applaud you. It's a, it's to me, I would say it's hard work, but it's freeing work. Yeah. Like I still, yeah. I yeah. still am uncovering beliefs in my brain. And I'm like, why the heck is that still there? But it is. So yes. better I should spit it out and <laughs> process it and look at it as much as I can as a more whole adult. Yeah. Um, then keep it inside me, driving me, which it has done, understandably, yeah. huge self-compassion yeah. for decades. Yeah. And I, I was just in a course yesterday that we were talking about that, how everyone, everyone on their path or their journey of what they want can grasp it and it's in reach but most people ditch first like it's just too painful Mm. so they just bail and I think it's very inspiring that you're like yeah it's painful but I know on the other side how beautiful and the joy is there and that is the most beautiful part so 
that being said, before you came on, I always ask my listeners for some some questions, and there were millions of them, but I'm going to go through a few of them. And the number one was, did it ever get so hard, like that it brought you to your knees in pain, that you're like, I'm out, let's just block it out and go forward with my pippy, skippy, happy life? Did did what? What's did what? No, what did what ever bring me? What was what ever so painful? Were they talking about the past or the present or healing? Dealing or? with dealing with looking at the past. Was it ever so painful that you're like, yeah, I don't want to have those memories. I don't, I, let me just block them out. It's just too painful. Um, I think that's what he means. I'm not sure. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll go with we'll go with assuming that's what it means. So 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 no and yes, right? I'm a coach, a consultant, and that's the way I answer. So so no in that I do you know, with a lot of support and a lot of learned self-compassion and a lot of tools, walk through a lot of gunk that's still in me. Like, spoiler alert, in my book, when I finally leave my cult, I do almost jump off a bridge and I don't jump. Spoiler alert, 40 years after that, I'm, you know, in therapy and trauma therapy in a park in Minneapolis in the middle of COVID, you know, sobbing, thinking, realizing that there's part of me that thinks I should have jumped. Oh, wow. Wow. Forty wow. years later, I no longer know him as the Messiah. I know, I know the truth and the facts about it, but the way I was raised carved that so deeply into me that it's still there. So, on one hand, is it way too painful, and does it make you want to stop? Yeah, but not push down. You know, black out again. You know, I'll be like, I'm just gonna, you know, not watch a hard movie. I'm gonna like zone out on some stupid something, whatever. Like, yeah, walk away from the trauma. Yes, but again with support right being able to see that in me and i do some specific trauma therapy i do emdr eye movement desensitization reprocessing oh yeah yeah yes right but a, a lot of tools i've learned to to reprocess that to understand why there's parts of me that still believes and knows that and to heal those parts Yes, really, really hard. My brother, once when I started the MDR, he's like, yeah, I had a friend who did that. They stopped because it was too hard. Yeah. Um, it's really, really hard and painful, but there is freedom on the other side. So I will back off. I will get support. I will get hugs. I will do lots of things, but I keep going because it gets better when I do. Yeah. I think that's a great answer. That's a great answer, Bob. I hope that really helped. If not, send more. Okay, next big question. Really? A wedding? This woman says at Madison Square Garden. She wants to know, quote unquote, how did your mom score that? That's exactly what she wrote. And these are all made up names. When I I read that line, I get, it wasn't really a judge, was he? And I was like, yeah, it was actually a judge of a small town in New Jersey. Um, really a wedding. So yeah, spoiler alert. If you don't know what that means, yay you. If you're my age, I'm 57, right? Or around that or older in the seventies and eighties, uh, really big, the biggest cult of all, one of the biggest cults of all cults was the Moonies, Reverend Simon Moon, Unification Church. And that was the cult I was raised in. And what Moon practiced or believed or preached, one of the things was, you know, restoring mankind to God through having blessed marriages, you know, where Moon would literally match people up together, you and you go get married. Um, and he would have these huge mass Oh, I did not know. They matched each other up. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. He would literally, because he could see your spiritual body, your spiritual being. So he would literally, in a room of strangers, just point, you, you, go. You, you, go. You, you. Not with my mom, but that's what he did. Um, and 
So yeah, so mass wedding. So my mom was married on July 1st, 1982 in Madison Square Garden with 2,075 other couples. <laughs> so over 4,000 people got married on one oh, day. Um, he, gotcha. The moon has done even bigger weddings at this point, but that was the biggest one to date. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's, it's not like my mom scored a wedding in Madison Square Garden. It's like my mom scored being indoctrinated and brainwashed into a cult <laughs> yeah, and God. therefore marrying a stranger with yeah. thousands of other people getting married to strangers in Madison Square Garden. And how old were you then? That was the summer between my freshman and sophomore year of college. So mm. I was 18. When and at the married. time, did you still, did, what did you think? Did you think this was really cool? I mean, I know a lot's in your book, but by the way, there's no spoiler alert you could give. Let me tell you, people, no matter what <laughs> she says, this book, it's like, there's just no way. It, you're going to call me and say, Sandy, it was the best effing book I ever read. I know it. So let's move mm -hmm. forward. So at the time she got married, I was, uh, caught in the, in the middle between almost jumping off the bridge and trying to kill myself with anorexia. So I, we joined, I was 10 when we joined. Um, and I, he was my Messiah. I believe fervently. I knew all this to be true. There's nothing as intoxicating as knowing the truth. It's the best drug ever. I say that all the time. Yep. I truly know that to be true from my experience, right? That's mm -hmm. why extremist situations exist. So he was my Messiah and I can give you the, story of what happened if you want but we love stories went, yes we want stories okay so so we join we join we'll do the real fifty thousand foot version like i gave my kids you know we join uh at that point my my brother my older brother and i are living with my mom and my grandfather my grandmother had passed away my parents split when i was very young um my mom in 1974 the friend she used to hitchhike across country with uh, to California every summer, calls her and says, you have to go hear Reverend speak. My mom goes to hear him speak and comes back thinking this is amazing. Within a few months, she gets in, uh, convinced to go up to Barrytown, New York, a huge building uh, place where they have indoctrination workshops. And my mom goes up for the weekend and back and then up for a week and then back for a week. And basically she spends her summer there and brings us up and we spend some of our summer there. And you know, the first time I'm there, I hear him speak and he's my Messiah. He's like God, there's like God and then moon. So this is our life. Uh, um, then my mom, you know, sits my brother and I down one day and says, I think I need to be more involved. What should I do? And we say, you should leave. And so she packs up, she leaves us with my grandfather um, and moves into the church full time to ironically always basically take care of other people's children in the church. I still meet people to this day who go, oh, your mother took such good care of me. Oh, wow. She moves out. Uh, I, at the age of 10, 11, become head of the household. I'm shopping, I'm cooking, I'm cleaning, I'm running everything because my brother is checked out and my grandfather is uh, basically on the verge of a nervous breakdown for a variety of reasons. Um, long story short, he does get put into the hospital. We get shuffled around with people for a while and finally someone tells Danny, my dad, what's going on. He comes to get us, he moves us into New York City to live with him. So I spend the rest of my, from like 13 on, growing up with my dad in the squalor of New York City. East Village. Um, but so he's my Messiah, I believe. We live with my dad. We spend every waking moment at the church. And then the summer between my junior and senior year of high school, Danny uh, sends me to music camp for the summer. I am convinced to keep me away from the church because, again, the week the, the summer before that, I'd been in Seattle yeah. proselytizing, like waking up every morning and trying to convince people to join. So he sends me to this music camp. I become friends with people who, for the first time, known to me are gay and or bisexual and 
I write to my mom because this is a huge sin in my church. And I'm like, what should I do? And she says, they're evil, they're sinful. You can convert them or stay away from them. And for the first time, I don't, I don't agree. And you have yeah. to understand, right? We were taught, this is one of the ways they control you. We were taught that if you ever question anything, and I can feel it as I say this, if you ever question anything, that's Satan trying to win you back from God. Ugh. So as soon as you man, question, that's power. Over as soon you. as you think for yourself, right? No wonder I have a hard time thinking for myself. As soon as you think for yourself, you are convinced you are being dominated by Satan. So you do everything in your power never to think or question because you just right then yeah so much all of that in there. So I question for the first time, and then I come home from music camp, and I'm not only a Mooney, but I am best friends with Moon's children, and in the church his children are called the true children because they're the children of the Messiah. And then there are blessed children, children born to couples in these huge mass wedding ceremonies. And these children are born without original sin. And then there's simple people like me. And so I'm friends with the true children and some of the blessed children. And I come back from music camp and one of my friends, my 16 year old blessed child friend was, I kid you not, seduced by our Sunday school teacher um, and having an affair and got pregnant. And in order to like not let anybody know, she spreads rumors and she says basically that I wanna have sex with all the men in the church, which is obviously a huge sin. So she spreads these rumors, Moon hears these and believes these and makes a decree that only blessed children can play with the true children. In other words, he makes this decree that says, Lisa can't come near my kids anymore. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. like to say, my Messiah banished me. So I come back knowing Satan is making me question and then the Messiah kicks me away, right? So I go to my senior year of high school. Oh my gosh. Go tormented. Ahead confused right and said okay you joined as a kid as a 10 year old you just followed your mom you need to take a step back now and kind of see the world on the outside so that you can you can make a full adult decision at the age of 17 but a full adult decision and come back and never question again and i start to pull away and i hang out and i spend the weekends at home with my dad which he loves and i become closer with friends at my high school and I find more unconditional love there and I get more and more confused and tormented and feeling more guilty because I'm letting God down and I'm abandoning the Messiah. And then I start experimenting with alcohol and I throw a party and I get really drunk. And the next thing I know, I kissed a boy and I have a boyfriend, which is a huge sin. <laughs> and uh, long story short, at the end of my the summer before college, I decide that I will break up with my boyfriend. Um, and when I go off to college and he stays in New York City and I go off to college and I don't break up, and that's when I begin to pull away. And as I like to say, my freshman year, I almost jumped off the bridge. Sophomore year, I became really anorexic. Junior year is when I started doing a hell of a lot of cocaine. And then senior year, I just started having really bad destructive relationships. But so freshman year, I start to pull away. So back to my mom's wedding. Right? <laughs> it's the summer between my freshman and sophomore year. So I have pulled away from the church, but I still know Moon to be the Messiah. So I mm. am... I, there aren't words, <laughs> hence my thinking that I, you know, some part of me thinking that I still should have jumped, right? There, the knowing him as the Messiah and choosing not to follow, right? And all I've been taught all my time, all my childhood in the church is about all the people who broke God's heart and let God down. Adam and Eve failed, Cain and Abel failed, Noah failed, Abraham failed, Jesus failed, they all failed. And here I was failing God as well. So I sat there in Madison Square Garden uh, with floor seats. Back then, the, the seats used to go like red, orange, yellow, green, blue, purple, all the way up to the sky. And I had red seats, only time ever for my mom getting married. Yeah. Looking at my true parents, my Messiah and his spouse, right? Blessing people, knowing my mom and everybody I knew was there on the floor thinking, I don't want to be here. 
I deserve to die. Like if anybody sees me, they'll know what I've done. Like guilt, shame. A year earlier, I would have sat there going, I can't wait until that's me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. In that year, I went from knowing I should want it to be me and just knowing that I deserve to be, you know, cast aside like I was because I have the truth and I was not doing it. Wow. Whoa. There you I, go. I mean, that's I'm the feeling answer. heavy. I'm sitting here going, that's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. You know, it's funny because I'm currently doing a coach training on working with our dark side in some ways and positive intelligence, which is amazing. Right. And then when you have trauma and then when you have trauma wrapped around God, it's it's big. Trauma wrapped around God is very it's like another level of unraveling. Right. And in no way is my trauma the worst. You know, this is how we all all, all this trauma survivors speak. Other people had it way worse than me. Absolutely true. Um, but trauma wrapped around God and the guilt and shame of that is, is it's a hard thing to unravel. It's a hard thing to unravel. Yeah, I'm thinking of some friends and family, the same thing, it, not the same mm -hmm. cult, but they're fearful. They don't want to go to hell. They're so afraid mm -hmm. of going to hell, mm -hmm. you know, and that pressure and that guilt and that they screwed up. And, you know, and so they try to hide a lot of things from others. Yep. yep. But, but on great the control other, mechanism. Yep. Yeah. But on the other side of it, some of them, the organization they're with shows so much love for them and support them mm -hmm. as long as they follow these guidelines that they don't want to separate from them. So extremist situations, I, I will say, and, I, and what I say has been modified. I used to say we are all susceptible, and I have been told, and I agree, right? Unless you are, have psychosis, really bad psychosis, are a sociopath, or are already in an extremist situation. Other than those three, everyone is a susceptible. All you have to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, meet the wrong person, and have the wrong mindset, and you're in. Because... As human animals, three of the major things we crave are certainty, purpose, and community. And a cult, an extremist situation of many sorts, and there's a lot out there now, is really obvious, right? Yep, yep. It gives you absolute certainty. It is the most intoxicating drug ever to know you are absolutely right and doing what's right and not wrong. It gives you purpose. You are know why you're here. You don't have mon you know, Monday morning blues, Sunday night blues. You know you're here for God's will. And a community, like you said, that you will never, ever replicate and will support you through everything as long as you follow the rules. Yep. Yep. I was trying to explain that because a really close friend of mine, great human being, awesome human being, but in one of these situations... My family's like, I don't understand. He seems like he's so together. He's so intelligent. How can he be brainwashed by that? And I said, I'll tell you why. Because when they found him, he was on the lowest point, heavy involved in drugs, no family. Someone had gotten killed in a car crash. You know what I mean? And they yeah. took him in. I'm mm -hmm. telling you, Lisa, I don't know if there's anything you could say to change his mind at this point because they love him. They helped him find a job. You know what I mean? There's so many other things. I'm sure you experience this too. Like you, like you said, there's cults out there. By the way, I didn't know there were so many out there and thriving until I watched a documentary. It was crazy. Yeah. It was like, what? Yeah, there's, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So I was trying to explain, like, please don't be so hard on him. I'm not saying you don't want a different life for him, but I understand where he's coming from. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So first of all, I will say the worst thing you can do when someone believes that fervently is try to convince them that they're wrong. Absolutely. Because the more you tell them they're wrong, the more they will fight back and not listen to you. I mean, first of all, that's how they're controlled. And second of all, that's just human nature, right? We all have confirmation bias. We cannot, it is really hard for our brains to let in any information that differentiates from what we know to be true or think to be true. Yeah. So, so that's one. And, and second of all, like, yeah, like it gives people so much when I, you know, people read my book and then they're like, well, you don't make the church sound bad in some ways. And I'm like, let's be really clear. It was a haven. When we got there, it was a haven for my brother and I compared to what had happened beforehand, right? Yes. Oh, yes. I, and, I, right? I read and that story. And it is a cult. And it affected me, as I've mentioned, in some of the ways, and there's many more, in ways that, you know, are deeply, I can deeply etched into me. I can meet someone who grew up in a different cult in a different country and know them so intimately more quickly than I can someone I've known like a really long time because we are carved so exact in so many ways on the inside. So it's, but again, it, and that is part of the duality of my life in many ways. You know, the church saved me from the past. My dad's craziness helped me get out of the church. Every single person who kind of helped me by loving me in some way was completely off base. And also hurt me like, you know, it's there's the duality and absolutely in life. Right. I talked that with someone yesterday with clients all the time, but definitely in my life. But yeah, when someone when someone believes that there's so many reasons they'll believe that. And what you actually have to do is is stay connected to them in any way so that you don't lose them. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Because the more you push again, there's no way there. I I tell them that, you know, and I had another. Let me tell you that. And I. Go ahead. No, I was just saying a friend was just like trying to logically talk to this human being about why he shouldn't be in this group. Mm. I'm like, you are making him go more in the group. It's just not working. You know, another spoiler alert, my mom, I left, my brother left after me. My mom also left in 96 when my youngest child was born. And there's a lot to that story. But I will tell you that that now, right, with the book being out and a lot of different stuff I'm doing around it and I'm having a conversation, you know, the, the book, in some way, everything that's happened now made my mom take responsibility for what she did and the impact of it, which she had never really taken at all. Really? Like, that's huge. I, I never, I didn't leave you. I loved you. Why? Like, she used to say things like, why, why would you get over this? Or she would talk to kids whose parents left them at nurseries in the church. And she'd be like, I was talking to so-and-so. They're so traumatized because their parents left them. And we'd be like, yeah, they are. But she never, so anyway, she went, but she's now seeing it. But even now, when I was talking to her about stuff and I said something about the church and being a victim, she's like, oh, I don't, I don't think I was a victim. Like my mom to this day can't see that she was brainwashed, can't. And when I started telling her about all the really messed up things I've learned about the church recently and like getting reinvolved in the community of, of people who've gotten out of survivors and thrivers, yeah. um, my mom is like, well, if, if that's true, why is so-and-so still in there? Like my, even now, like, you know, and uses church terms that absolutely still give Moon and his family added work. Like it's really hard. And she's been out for 25 years, almost 20 wow. years. It's really hard to undo what you believe, right? She's still in some way, and if you ask me, protecting herself and what happened and, and the church and all of that. I, oh, when the book came out, I realized I could not speak negatively about Moon. Like I would really, 
I would like not be able to talk. And it's taken a lot of work in the last two and a half years for me to be able to say, yeah, yeah he's not the Messiah. He does have illegitimate children. I knew them growing up. We didn't know that like, like he is an evil narcissistic, you know, person who was maybe believed he was the Messiah, but hell, hell they are out there for power. Like it's, but yeah. I didn't used to be able to say those things or think those things. My brain yeah. would absolutely shut down and not move. Yeah. Like, totally so freeze. Okay, I have so many questions to pull from that. But the biggest one is, was it very healing to you to put this on paper? Everyone always asks that. Um, Yes and no. So no, in that I didn't feel it didn't feel very cathartic, because I had told my story so many times by the time I finally got it in on paper and out oh. because of Al-Anon, I like, qualified and just like, not not publicly, but I'd said it that I, you know, it didn't feel like catharsis to put it on paper. Um, it did make me see some of the good that I hadn't seen before. Like again, the people who's absolutely, you know, in a perfect world that probably wouldn't have been around them and yet their love absolutely saved me. It helped me see the dualities. It helped me see a lot in a lot of different ways. I can tell you that having it out has absolutely, you know, rocked my world. My tectonic plates has shifted. Uh, one, it got me involved with the community of cult survivors and specifically we're called second gen, second generations, those of us born and or raised. Um, that community getting involved in that and has been unbelievable healing. And just being so public with it, has allowed me to step even more authentically into who I am and where I come from. And like, a, like literally, I own a leadership consulting and executive coaching firm. And I will speak to a new prospect, an HR leader, or be sitting with a possible coaching client. And they'll say, oh, I Googled you. And I'm like, great. Because if you Google me, I think I'm still the first three. If you Google my brother, I think I'm still the first page because I got yeah, yeah. so much publicity when the book came out. And so it's like, yes, yes, I grew up in Mooney. Yes, I grew up in a cult. Yes, all my pithy sayings are from AA. And so what, right? And it just allows me to be more real. And it's and it has pushed me in many ways to uncover and unearth some stuff that, like I said, like this guttural knowledge that I should have jumped instead of letting myself live like that. Didn't even know it was there, you know, whatever. And now it's out and I can look at it. And I've learned from a, a second gen friend who I've made over the last few years to say that is the cult talking. Right, mm. to be able to separate myself. And I give that to my clients all the time. Like take out the word cult, put in what works for you. Yeah. But to be able to separate myself from the crazy, self judging, harsh, confused, scared, whatever voices and lies in my head, I can separate and be like, Oh, I was taught to think that, but I don't have to think that. Right. So so yeah, that part has been I just feel like, wow, I am more whole and more full in my own self and yeah. more and more each day because of that process. So, Well, I'll tell you what, <laughs> if you were there and there were other people up against you as far as hiring you, I would choose you because I knew your story because I'd be, man, if she got through that and she's applying it to her <laughs> life, you know what I mean? I always want to work with people that walk the walk and talk the talk. They eat, breathe, and live it. You, you know, they're applying it to themselves. I don't want people that already have arrived, but I want to be in this together. You know, I know that, wow, you know your principles and your strategies have worked because look at your life now. 
and also you're able to say yeah i'm not done you know every day i uncover more so your clients are very very lucky oh you're very kind yeah i uh, i go places with clients that probably many coaches won't go because i know what it took to get me out of my own way yeah <laughs> so like i literally i, I have a client whom whom I stay in touch with all my clients. My client is now coaching me, but I have a client and she was raised by two immigrant parents and she was taking care of her, you know, six younger siblings or something by the time she was six or something like that. Yeah. And she's a very, very over-responsible person. You wonder why, right? And she works in a, a department of education of major city and we're talking at one point and she cannot, you know, no judgment on her parents, right? It is what had to happen, but she cannot see that that wasn't normal, that that, that maybe was not the best situation for her and i finally said to her okay you've, you've taught first grade right and all of a sudden i just i mean i, I feel as i say it, i could see it hit her like oh my god those six-year-olds are really young <laughs> you know um yeah. right but i go like with love i had to learn that i learned a lot of things that are getting in my way and they saved my life but they're getting in my way and you had to learn you know right but like yeah, so it yeah, it allows me to say, let me stand with you and let me help you see your own beauty and love. Yeah. And so, powerful. so powerful. So powerful. Oh, yeah. Awesome. All right. I want to get to a few of your tips because I can see us chatting about your story and journey. By the way, <laughs> people must just want to have you around just to hear another story because I know me. <laughs> I'm like, I can't wait till Griffins opens up and we're sitting there. I'll be like, tell me another story, Lisa, because I love stories. Um, <laughs> boy, do you have some. But I really want to dive a little bit more into this because I think our listeners would really benefit about the internal critical voice and protecting it and that the more you push against them it only makes them stronger so i would love for yeah. you to open that one up so it's a, a lot of work that i have done and again as i'm doing in a in a new way now but what i have learned right so i have a very i have very strong judging voices critical voices you know things that just i mean my my perfectionism is, is way off the charts my my level of responsibility my guilt my shame i'm really easily triggered into over it's all the stuff that i needed to do as a kid so and what i've learned like when that like i used to call that i call that voice one of my critical voices my editor right when yeah. my editor would jump in my editor my editor saved my life Right? And that's what I say to clients all the time. It either saved your life or you think it saved your life. It doesn't matter, right? Yeah. But like these critical voices, it's how we learn to misinterpret what was going on and survive. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Right? And so my editor, right, my, you know, that part that's really careful and or my hypervigilance still thinks I'm in the incredible danger it saw when I was a child. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's only trying to help me as much as it hurts me. And, and I, you know, when you like, stop those evil voices, push it away. I have just found it's like physics, right? The more you push against something, the more the resistance grows. Right? I agree. So how do, I agree. And I have learned, yeah, I've learned to just say, you know, thank you for sharing. I'm okay. Like, and to take literally, excuse me, Hokey, take those parts of me and put them on my lap and give them a hug and say, yeah, you weren't, you didn't get the love you needed as a kid, but I am here now and I can give it to you. Um, and so it's really 
you know, and then the, like like learning, I'm, I'm learning this process now, of like just learning even more to be in my body and focus on my five senses or one sense at a time and really focus and bring myself back to me so that I can, again, see the difference between that's the cult talking or that's just my editor trying to protect me or that's, you know, all those different things so that it can just give me the space you know, to, to, to choose a different way. Or if I can't do that, to be like, oh God, this is hard and put my hand on my heart and say, of course it is. Of course, this is hard for you. Of course, this is hard for you. Scary. All right, I gotcha, you know, and that, so it, you know, we just, you know, we learn, we teach people to like push away the negatives, hate that part of ourselves. And for me, I've just learned I need to embrace it and thank it and love it and then choose to do something from a more sane point of view. And when I can, you know, go curl up on the couch and have a cup of tea and call yep. a friend or whatever yeah. you need to do to be okay. Yeah. I 100% know that works, but I love the way you explained it because I've tried to tell it to people and they're like, what are you talking about? So I hopefully they're out there listening because that was a great explanation. Okay, I want to get into one of the... Uh, techniques that you use because I've used this for so many years and I did not know it came from Jill Taylor the 90 second rule because I do yeah, that so all the time I I wish I did it more often I remember almost when I need to so Jill Bolt Taylor wrote a book my stroke of insight and Jill Bolt Taylor is a brain scientist who had a stroke in the left side of her brain and that put her into only her right side of her brain and she writes about her stroke and her recovery. And it's amazing. And my dad had a stroke, Danny had a stroke a bunch of years ago. So someone pointed to me to the book. Um, but just her her writing about what the right side of the brain, you know, the love, big picture, non-critical side of the brain, what like living in that side of the brain is like versus again, the critical nature on our, on our left side. But so the 90 second rule she writes about is so when something happens and we get triggered, our, our fight, flight or freeze response gets triggered we think we have no control and for 90 seconds we physiologically do not have control over our emotions and our thought processes or anything but after those 90 seconds we do have the ability even when we think we don't to be rational to pull back to use the mature adult brain to like find a prefrontal cortex i think that's the right part right to find the other yes. parts which can be compassionate which can show ourselves empathy or maybe empathy for others, who can be curious, who can be open, who can kind of have a calm response. 90 seconds. It, it is long. Like if you've ever worked in advertising like I have and you produce a 30 second commercial, you realize how long 30 seconds can be. It's, but it's only 90 seconds, like a minute and a half. And after that, I can choose what to do with my brain, which then affects how I feel, which then affects what I actually do. It's, it can be life-changing. And I can forget it all the time. <laughs> I, I have to tell you, I have used it my entire life. I don't know where. I must have heard somewhere to do 90 seconds. That's great. And I know it works firsthand. And it seems so, people always say, oh, Sandy, why do you say just breathe is going to save you? I'm going, I'm telling you, it sounds, sometimes things yeah. that sound so simple, people think can't work, that it has to be overcomplicated, but it works. Yeah, if you can just breathe, like, first of all, when you breathe, it puts you back in your body if you pay attention, if you can breathe and pay attention, right? Yeah. And when you breathe, it literally slows down 
the fight or flight response. It slows your heart rate. It gives you more oxygen. Like it does all these physiological things and it can give you that 90 seconds of focus on something else so that you can make a choice as to how to respond. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. All right. I want to get this question in. So Johnny wants to know, did your kids' jaws drop when they found out your story? I mean, well, or did you piecemeal well, it? You know what I mean? Or one day no, did you sit I did down and say, okay, it, I think you're old enough. You know? My older, so we, we knew we weren't going to tell them anything for a long time. There was an arbitrary age of 16. My older child used to say, my, my mom's writing a memoir. She had a bad childhood. I'm not allowed to know what happened um, <laughs> for a very long time. And then, and then with my older child, literally, we were, we were driving somewhere in the car, and I turned to them and I said, here's the deal. I will tell you anything you want to know, and you never need to know anything. It's totally fine. And my kid goes, tell me. And I'm like, now? Yeah. So I, and we're like driving We've and staring at him. I'm the 50,000-foot version of everything that all the whatever happened. And the response was, hmm, Papa? kind of saw that coming. Mimi never saw that coming. Wow. <laughs> so that's my older kid. And then my younger child um, was 15 when I finally signed with a publisher or something. And he says, I want to read your book. And I say, okay, here's the deal. You can read it. But before you read it, I have to tell you the story and you actually have to listen to me. And there's a pause and he goes, yeah, never mind. It's not worth it. <laughs> as only he can do and then like a week later i'm like okay i don't have to tell you the story you can read the book but every chapter we're going to check in and we're going to talk and he's like yeah still not worth it and then he happened to pick up a postcard that had the line on it you know best seats i ever had and best cocaine i ever had and he, i look at him and i'm like okay now we have to talk because you know i did cocaine and you're 15 yeah. years old yeah, yeah. Um, and so we go out to dinner and again like, it's just the two of us and i give him like the fifty thousand foot version of everything that happened and i finish and he goes so your childhood was just like mine then, huh? <laughs> <laughs> but, and I will tell you, right? So that's, that's just who he is. But, you know, a couple of weeks after that, he went and spent time with my mom, um, who's been out for years, right? He spent time with her alone for the first time ever, I think. And he came back and it was the four of us. And he said, I don't know how to be with Mimi. And I'm like, here's a deal. Not a great mother. A lot of stuff happened. A really good grandmother. Totally unrelated. Ooh, you yeah. just be, you just be with her as you are with her. It's got nothing to do with what happened with me. And so they both kind of walk this line of knowing it, but keeping it at a distance. My older child keeps saying that they need to read it again. And I keep going, okay, uh, are you sure? <laughs> this last time, because I, I always feel like it's good that they know the details. They don't need to know the depth of my trauma. And I, I said something that to my kid, I didn't use the word trauma, but I'm like, I don't, I don't need you to know all the Know, all the pain i don't really need you to know that if you never want to read it again that's fine and um yeah my kid got really silent and then finally i said what what are you thinking and, and my kid says um i'm thinking you're strong you have all that pain i think you're strong Aww. which is really yeah i'm very i have I, everyone does has the best kids but i have wonderful kids i'm very lucky and very blessed um so they both so they both know the story kind of take it like like their younger cousin my brother's son doesn't know yet so i was always like what can we talk about about around matthew it's like they know it they joke about it they refer to it i said to my my younger child I'm like now you know why i'm mushy beyond belief right like i did not get enough love growing up bummer for you <laughs> So you're gonna, I'm just gonna be all over you. So, um, so yeah, but so it's, it's, they kind of take it 
at a distance. I think they might take it in more at times. And, and I just try and like, again, protect their relationship with their grandparents um, and, and be like, yep, yeah, sorry for the stuff I gave you. Right. Because it, it you know, I, I've said that to so many other second times that I've met, it's called generational trauma. And as much as I try to not let anything affect my kids, they're absolutely are affected by what's in my DNA and in my experience. So, okay. Oops. Did the best I could kind of thing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But you know what? I mean, I know we think that, but I, I have this different bet on life that I believe your kids cho chose what lives they come into. So I'm thinking, mm -hmm. you know, this is a pretty cool family they chose to come into and how blessed they are to have you in their life. And I just, I, I don't even know them, but I can visualize them and I can visualize these conversations and, yeah. you know, yeah. amazing. My older child just the other day said, what's great about my family, the Cone family is, um, like everybody's a little weird, but everybody's really open about it. <laughs> Aren't we all some more open yeah. than others? You know, I don't, yeah, you know all of us are a little be... weird. Some of us realize it and some of us don't. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. somebody on air the other day when I was, they were interviewing me, he said, you know, you're, you're basically a unique weirdo. I go, okay, well, that's a compliment. And she's like, no, no, I mean that as a compliment. I'm like, okay, I can work with that, you know? I do have a t-shirt that my kid gave me that says it's weird not to be weird. Ooh. And I had one by years right out of the church. I had the little button that said, why be normal? Oh, I, I love that find one. it again. I'd still be wearing it. Absolutely. I'd be wearing it again. Like I think I tried normal for a while. Yeah. I don't do normativity. Well, <laughs> it's like not I do think there's so. also an age thing, right? You want to fit in. Yeah. And at some point you're yeah. like, no, and I then you get older and you're like, never mind. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. Let's switch gears here a little bit. If you, we're going to be an animal. What animal would you pick and why? Oh my God. Did you ask me this already? Did you prepare me for this? Did I no, I didn't. This? What I don't. animal would I be? What? Oh, I hate this question. No. Uh, this is the sort of question that I'll like do at a program I'm leaving and then hate when anybody asks me, what animal would I be? Oh, that's very easy, actually. My, uh, my totem animal, I actually don't think it's appropriate to say totem animal, but the animal that I've chosen to represent my heart is uh, the yellow finch, the golden finch, the yellow birds. Oh. Yellow birds lift my heart beyond belief. Every time I see them, uh, it is proof that the universe loves me. And in the winter, I have used other things as constant daily proof that the universe loves me. It's really made up and it really works. I highly recommend it to anybody. <laughs> yeah, no, but, me, yeah. I love that. Yeah. For me, it's owls, yeah. golden finch. I, I, I like. Yeah, are, so, are they and they fly, here? and it's like up and down, wavy. Yeah, they do. They show up. They show up in the spring to fall. Not a whole heck of a lot. They're rare enough that you're like, oh, I saw one. But you do yeah. see them. I know where to look for them. I will. Be, I have been known to go look for them in order to find proof that the universe loves me. But that's okay too. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I, I, my thing is trees for the most part. So I just go out and yes. hug a tree and I can find yeah. them anywhere, Lisa. So we're, we're in I got to tell you trees against the sky, you know, normally beautiful trees against a blue sky, but I will tell you that it works with really craggly trees against the gray sky. That is one of the things I do when my heart, when I need soothing is I look at that and somehow again, I'm filled with so my God is love. My God X is love. And I'm just mm. filled with the love of the universe and the joy and whatever that essential energy that I, again, called love is. So yeah, I'm, I'm all for trees. I'm all for trees. 
So I've got to go to your last point because I want to make sure we get this in. Find your go-to thing to do. Think, say, look at, listen to, whatever that will soothe you when you're upset and bring you back to yourself. What are your go-to things? Well, yeah, just give you two. <laughs> uh, the golden, you know, the, the yellow birds, nature, uh, just really finding nature. Um, mm. I, Tara Brock, Tara Brock, huge yeah, you know, yeah, mindfulness yeah. guru, right, right. For anyone who doesn't know, check it out. But anyway, I learned from listening to her guided meditations to put my hand on my heart. And my right hand is practically almost always on my heart. Um, mm. It is a very soothing there's a way to soothe ourselves, like physiologically. Um, I've learned from her to say, it's okay, sweetheart, it's okay, right? And I, I do those. Um, I, I used to like, you know, let things go by literally opening my hands to the universe. And as I said that, I think, wow, I could probably do this with some things. I haven't done that. That's interesting. Um, I do like, but so like I really work so like so yellow birds, yellow birds, yellow birds, and then I spent six weeks in Minneapolis in the early fall with my kid, and there weren't enough there were I couldn't find any yellow birds. I'm like, I cannot go six weeks without proof that the universe loves me. What will I do? So <laughs> I decided to look for red hearts and red apples, right? Um, whatever. I just decided somebody look. And then I would go for a bike ride on the, the trails there in Minneapolis. And mm-hmm. I'm on the bike and I'm noticing that every single, just about every single person who goes past me has something red. And even when I'm like, oh, that person doesn't have anything red, just as they pass me, they'll have like one little red sticker or something. And I'm like, so does it mean nothing? Hell, it means nothing. Do I take it to mean everything? absolutely I take it to mean everything and then you know and I take it further like we came back I was back here and I decided I would do frogs and so then I'm like where did I came from I don't know but then I'm going on the bike ride that day and I go up onto the bike trail and there's a picture of a frog that I've never noticed before and then I'm driving out west with my kid taking them back to Minneapolis and I'm explaining the frogs but we just keep seeing all these elephants like they're like these elephants on the way back to the Midwest not real ones. Yeah, and, I, yeah. and, and so my kid keeps going, you should do elephants. And so I'm like, all right, elephants. And since then, like almost every day, I open a magazine, there's an elephant. I like walk past a store, there's an elephant. Like like really funny ways elephants have popped and I keep yeah. sending my kid pictures of an elephant. And then I send it to this friend of my kids that I was talking to and they're like, look, the elephant is red. I'm like, I didn't even notice that. So is it all made up? Yeah. Could someone argue it means nothing? Absolutely. Does it soothe my heart every time I do it or see it? Absolutely. Absolutely. So so and that's what I mean by anything or anything, right? A yoga practice, meditation, hand on your heart, what you can say, mm. whom you believe to, something to turn it over to, a friend to text. I have eight people in the morning I text love to every morning, right? Whatever it is. I love that. Whatever it is. Well, you know what? I just, when I'm sitting there and you're saying how it soothes you, is it real, is it made up? It to me shows me how powerful the mind and body is. That when you focus oh, yeah. on to see elephants, you find elephant. You know what I mean? It's Absolutely. like going in the car, you know, thinking, okay, every time you see in a green and yellow car, you're going to find green and yellow car. So that's what it says to me how powerful yeah. the brain is. The brain is so powerful and we, and this is like, I, I know it's not actually a muscle, but I say to my clients, like, let's exercise it like a muscle and use it. We have more power over our brain 
than we think we do, right? And yeah, even yeah. when I can get to the point where I don't feel like I can get out of my brain, right? Because of all the carvings. Mm. But at some point I do. And again, that's like, that's the cult talking. That's the disease talking. That's what I, that's my judge. That's my internal critic. I don't have to listen. Like anything, there are ways to yeah, yeah. crawl through it, if not thrive, like to just get through it, right? Sometimes you just get through it and sometimes you get through it yeah. and it's easy. Yeah. <laughs> so it's funny because I do different things when these thoughts come in my head and I'll say things like, yo, not today, brain. Uh-uh. Not mm-hmm. happening. Mm-hmm. No, bring it mm-hmm. on. We're going another direction. So that's just mm-hmm. what I do to like laugh mm-hmm. about it. You know, we all have yeah. our thing. Whatever works. Yeah. All right. We're going to have to wrap up soon. So I want to make sure I just get some fun, cute questions in here. So you ready? Cool. All right. What's your favorite color? Uh, I would probably say yellow. Yellow. One of your yellow. favorite hobbies. I think I know. What would you like to do in your spare time? Oh, I, I am a yoga practitioner. I love to, I love yoga. I am a wannabe photographer. I became a consultant when I said to my therapist, that's it. I quit. I should be an artist. I should be a photographer. And she's like, well, why don't you be a consultant? <laughs> but I, I, I love creating in any way. I, I am a weightlifter though. You know, right now 10 pounds is heavy, but I did bench press 120 pounds at one point. Um, Whoa, I did so- not know that. Awesome. Yeah, and I and I don't weigh 120 pounds, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I miss I miss heavy working out. Like last year, I skied into a tree and got a concussion, and then COVID happened, so I haven't lifted weights in a long time. Um, yeah, I love to write. I didn't know I'd love to write until I wrote. I love to edit. I love the whole process. Um, yeah, and like- you like to bike. <laughs> oh, I do. I do. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I end up, yeah, I don't, I, uh, I don't call myself a runner, but I run our bike. I, I exercise a lot. It is one of my ways of self-care. It absolutely is. It's how I kind of get out some of the stuff. Is there, do you watch any shows? Do you watch TV at all? Um, I used to not watch at all. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I, I'm behind on a lot of those shows, but I have watched some. Yes, did I see the Queen's Gambit? Yes. Is it amazing? Yes, I love her shoes. Oh my um, goodness, yes. 100%. I've watched every cult documentary recently, but that's not a surprise. Yeah. Right now I'm in Bridgerton, which is total, total mind escape. Very funny. Like, yeah, yes. yeah. But what was the question you wanted to ask? Do you have like a guilty pleasure, a show that you watch? What you, you're answering. Yeah, I mean, I've done, I've done a bunch of them. I did, I did a semester in Scotland a bazillion years ago, and my family will joke that I'll watch anything where they have a Scottish or Irish accent. Possibly true, <laughs> but yeah, Derby Girls, Derby Girls, which is about a group of kids in Northern Ireland during the Troubles. Oh, it's like only two seasons, but it's amazing because it's just like this, like situation comedy drama kind of thing oh and by the way people are bombing people in the background which is exactly what it was like there it's really cool oh i have to check it out i've never seen that okay from morning to night what would one of your favorite days look like what would you do i would okay I, i didn't learn i didn't make this up i wake up and my hand goes on my heart when i'm finally ready to get up and i say good morning spectacular i love you lisa and then I stand up and I sit there and I say, this is going to be a magnificent, great day. And then I go downstairs and I have a little bit of green tea and meditate. And then I have my first cup of coffee and I send my text to everybody that I need to text you to tell them I love them in the morning. 
and sit as my morning is really long. And then <laughs> I, uh, you know, do my journal writing and then I go for some sort of exercise. My perfect day would have a run, which felt good. And it would have a yoga class, which would just be amazing. I do happen to be blessed with loving what I do, so I wouldn't mind if my perfect day had coaching or client work because I get to touch people and change lives, which is a whole gift. Um, My perfect day would have something about the book, which again, I did it to make a difference um, and spread a message of hope and love and self-love and self-compassion. And, you know, just yesterday, actually, one of the kids I grew up with in the church, one of the blessed children reached out to me and said, a bunch of us want to have a, a group where we kind of learn and grow together. Will you, will you be our coach? Oh. <laughs> like if you had said to me 40 years ago that I would be, you know, helping people who are better than me heal from how we grew up together. Um, so it would be, you know, whenever I get to speak, whenever I speak at a book club, whenever I, every time I hear from someone who has found something or learned something or changed something because of it, it's amazing. And my perfect day would have my kids not in the Midwest. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for that. But very close by. <laughs> yeah. oh, you know, a lot of good family it. time, a lot of love. Uh, my life is about love. My life purpose is love. My mission is love to love and be loved. So it would just be a chance to see one of the many people in my family, my friends and express and enjoy together. Well, that does feel like a great day. All right, we're going to wrap up here with when I say the word universe, what does universe mean to you? Love. That was easy. You probably knew that was coming. Well, from you, it was easy for some people. It takes a while. So but I knew that was coming. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Well, Lisa, this has been a true pleasure. My Let's Keep It Real people are going to definitely say she definitely kept it real. But before we go, how can they find you? How can they reach you? How can they get your book? So if you Google Lisa Cohn and you spell the last name K as in kite, O-H as in happy and as in nice, you will find me. But my, um, my social media is at Lisa Cohn writes as in writing. So it's L-I-S-A-K-O-H-N-W-R-I-T-E-S. My personal website is lisaconwrites.com. My work website is chatsworthconsulting.com. C as in cat, H as in Harry, A-T as in Tom, S as in Sam, worthconsulting.com. Another way to find me, I like to hear from anybody and everybody. The book is available free on Kindle. It is on Amazon. But I highly encourage you to find an indie bookstore and get it from your indie bookstore or an indie bookstore owned by a person of color. Um, or if you go on my website, you can find Main Point Books. Or if you're here in the Pennsylvania area, Main Point Books, where you will get a personalized signed Woo-hoo! copy if that is what you ask for. I literally walk into town and sign a copy all the time. Um, I love that. So, yeah, it's, it's there. And I do <laughs> go to book clubs. I just want to spread a message of hope and love so i yeah lisa thank reaching. you please reach out thank you Sandy. thank you thank is you there so anything much. else we didn't get in that you want to say to the peeps i will say so the the three messages that i've kind of alluded to extremist situations exist they're really prevalent they're entirely ex- intoxicating and they are dangerous for anyone who feels hopeless or damaged beyond repair there is hope and you are not damaged i for a long time think I still thought I was damaged and I have damage. I'm not damaged. It's a huge difference. 
And then again, as a species, I know we are just way too hard on ourselves and we need a huge dose of self-love and self-compassion. And that's what I want to end with. Well, that's perfect. All right, my let's keep it real. I know you love this episode. I know there's so many people you know would benefit from hearing it. So make sure you share it, like it, rate it. We really appreciate it. Check us out on Patreon. Until next time, you know what I'm going to say. Toodles. Thanks for listening. Be sure to share and subscribe if you enjoyed the show. And remember, keep spreading the positive.